1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the Book of Luke. After 400 years of prophetic silence from God, the angel Gabriel was sent to the priest Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. To announce that they were going to have a child named John. John would be an important man, used by God to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Gabriel then went to Mary, a young woman who God had chosen to be the mother of the Messiah that was prophesied about hundreds of years earlier. Mary was initially startled at the news, but then was willing to be used by God, excited to see what the Lord would do. Mary was excited about the news and went down to visit her cousin Elizabeth. When they saw each other, Elizabeth declared and confirmed to Mary that she was carrying the Messiah in her womb. Mary spoke of God's greatness. We continue looking at what Mary said of God's greatness as we join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 1, verse 47.
0: Now, she explains in verse 47 that her spirit had rejoiced in God, her Savior. Our spirit's a little bit different than our soul. Our spirit is the part of us that fellowships with God. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that they died spiritually like that. That's why the Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sins. People say that. I never understood that. What do you mean I'm dead in trespasses and sins? I'm walking around, you know? I'm obviously alive. Spiritually, I am dead in trespasses and sins. My spirit, the part of me that has a relationship with God, is dead. There is no relationship. Now, when I give my life to Jesus, I put my faith in what he did for me on the cross. I turn from my own life to live for him. The Bible says I'm born again or born from above. I'm spiritually born. And so my spirit, God, supernaturally brings it back to life where now we have a relationship again. Now, in that relationship, that's the part of me that wants to please God. One writer described our spirit as the highest, deepest, and noblest person part of our humanity, the point of contact between God and man. My soul receives input from my spirit, but it also receives input from what? My flesh. My flesh is the part of me that appeals to my carnal nature, the things that don't please God. Like you look out, you say, Lord, I, I know I'm on a diet, but could I have one piece of cake this morning? Cause I got goodies out there. And the Lord's like, you can have one, but then the flesh is like, Hey, what's wrong with two? or three. And of course the Lord's going, one is enough. And then the battle's on, right? The battle for the soul is on because the flesh wants one thing, the spirit wants the other thing. My soul receives input through my flesh, which appeals to my carnal nature. And it receives input from my spirit, which appeals to what pleases God. When Mary first heard this news, her spirit was overjoyed at it that she would give birth to her own savior. You know, when she says here, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior here again, Mary admits I need to be saved. He's my savior. So the idea here being, she says, my spirit rejoiced in that, but the flesh was like, what are people going to think? I don't know if this is a good idea. And so when she hears this encouragement from Elizabeth, she takes it to heart and in her soul, she decides, I'm going to listen to that. I'm not going to listen to the flesh. I'm going to magnify the Lord. I'm going to declare how great he is. Every time we decide, whether it's to sing a song or to tell somebody how awesome God is, we're doing the same thing, making the same choice. How great is God? How is God great toward her? Well, in so many ways. And in declaring all those ways for us today, Mary's gonna share with us six reasons why God is great. So beginning in verse 48, reason number one. For, because he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, or check this out. Anytime you see the word behold, that's what it means. Check this out. From henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. The first reason that God is great is because he regarded her low estate. Now, the word there, a phrase, regarded, means to take special notice of something. God took special notice of her humble position. While I'm sure Mary was a nice, beautiful young lady, truth is she lived in a backwater village and she was engaged to the town fix-it guy. That's what the word carpenter means. He was a town fix-it guy. When stuff broke, they brought it to him. Granted, you know, that may be glorious at some point in time in our history, but back then it was not glorious. So there is nothing that would ever call attention to Mary as an individual. Tons of people lived in Israel and didn't know who she was. And many of the people in her own village didn't think anything special about her. And yet, even though no one else took notice of her, guess who did? God did. He took special notice of her. And because of the special notice God paid to her, people throughout history are going to call her amazing. I mean, we think about it. We're here talking about her today. Someone that if you were to think, pick the most backwater place in central Florida, I'm not going to name it because I do that. And then someone always comes up and goes, I'm from there, you know? So I'm not going to mention Bithlo this morning. So, but the idea here is that God took special notice of her. That's what makes God great because he takes special notice of all of us. He knows you intimately. He knows all the things that make you tick. Like things that no one wouldn't be special to anybody else. They're special to him. He knows you individually. Me and my son were talking this morning about snowflakes because I I mentioned to him, I said, yeah, it might snow in North Florida because we were looking at how cold it was in the car and the heater wasn't, you know, getting it done quick enough. And dad, it's really cold. He said a little bit more and it would snow. And I said, yeah, it's snowing. I think it's North Florida right now. And he's like, what? That's crazy. And then he asked me, he said, dad, is it true every snowflake's different? I said, that's what I've heard. Every person's unique. None of you are just another name or number to God none of you. He takes special notice of you. And so do you know that? And do you know that he wants to do special things in your life, just like he wanted to do in Mary's life? See, that's just a part of what makes him so great. He takes special notice of us. Secondly, in verse 49, also because For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. The phrase there mighty it means to be able, capable, competent. God is the most competent person out there. You ever had somebody come by to do work on your house and they're not competent? And then you're just like, this is not going to go well. You know, it's just not going to go well. Or you you have somebody that works for you and you hire them and you go, they are not competent. They're not going to be able to hit the ground running. They're going to need to be trained. You know, they're not skilled in this area yet. God is the most capable person out there. He is fully capable, fully able, fully competent. And the one who is mighty, she says, the one who can do anything, he has done to me great things, she says. Now, you might say, well, that's just redundant. God's great. and He does great things. But the word great there means surprising things. Important things. See, God, he did something that no one would ever pick Mary for. No one would have ever thought he could do something like that. And yet he did. He did. He picked the most unlikely person and put one of the most important responsibilities upon her to be the one that would carry the Messiah. God is great because as she says here, holy is his name. The word holy means something that's distinct, divine, set apart, different than us. See, God is great because He's one of a kind. He can pull off anything, which means He can use your life no matter how insignificant you think you are. Do you believe that? Not just that He sees you as special, not only that He wants to do special things, but that He can pull them off because no matter how small you are, no matter how incapable you are, He is fully competent and capable, and He can do it through you. God is great because He can do things nobody else can see, God isn't like us. He's way better. I remember there was a guy I went to school with and he had an amazing voice and he's trying to teach me how to sing. And I can hold a tune, but he's trying to teach me the proper way how to sing. And he talked about the diaphragm and stuff. And I'm not going to try to explain it because I could never understand it and still can't. I've had people who are like, here, let me put my hand in your belly. And all it does is tickle me. So it doesn't work. I am not competent in that. And tell me and say, I can make you to sing like this. And I'd be probably not, but God could he isn't like us. He's far better. No one would have guessed that God would use Mary. And if you told everyone, they'd have said you were being absurd. That's a dumb idea, Will. And yet God, he surprises us. He chooses regular people to do great things, to do important things. I think of the fact that God chose to give me one of his daughters to love like Christ loves the church. That he gave me four kids to mold and shape and train up in his ways. Me! Me! Me of all people. And there are times when it's painfully clear that he probably shouldn't have given me the job. But he did. And lo and behold, I have a 20-year-old that's still alive. And the other ones, they might make it there. See, God isn't like us. He's way better. And he chooses regular people like you and me to prove it. He is great because he can do things nobody else can. Most people would have figured that God would choose a political or religious leader. That would make the most sense, right? But God has never used people because they've earned it. And it's the same is true for Mary, which is the third thing that makes God great. He's merciful. Look at verse 50, what she says. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. This is the way he's always been. He has always done things out of his mercy. You've heard me describe the difference between mercy and grace before. Grace is getting what you haven't earned. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Frequently with our kids, they'll come to us. We have our rules in our home. And if they cross those boundaries, we'll say... What's the consequence for that? Because it's very clear, and they say this. When we see that they're broken and they're contrite, there'll be times when we'll tell them and say, listen, God shows us mercy, so we're gonna show mercy to you too. We're not gonna give you this consequence this time because we see that you're contrite. We love you, and we're just, we just wanna be good to you even though you don't deserve it. God is the same way with us. He's merciful to us. But there's another definition I found for the difference between grace and mercy this week that I really like, and I wanna share it with you. They said this. Grace takes away the fault, mercy removes the misery. And I love that. I love that. Many of us, we trust that we're going to heaven because of our faith in Christ, but we loathe ourselves because of our sin. And then when God wants to use us, we push Him away because we don't feel worthy. We say we're forgiven, but we refuse to relinquish the misery of the wickedness that we've done. But here's the truth. Jesus didn't just give us heaven. He removed all the penalty for what we deserve when he said, it is finished. And because of that, God restores us to a place of usefulness. Like with Adam and Eve, he says, here's the world that I've given you. Now go take care of it. Go be my lights in it. Go be my hands, my feet. Now maybe you think this morning, but you don't know what I've done, Pastor Will. You're right, I don't. But this I do know, that what you did was ugly enough to put spikes through the hands of the Savior. That it was ugly enough to rip the skin off his body and to beat a crown of thorns into his head. And if after all that, Jesus declared, it is finished, well then, well, I'll take his word over your feelings or my feelings about the ugliness of what we've done any day. I believe what he says over how I feel or how you feel. You know, we often quote that passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation, old things have passed away and all things have become new. Quoted a lot. Now, normally, who do we quote it to? A new believer. Hey, you've been saved. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. Now you're his child and and everything's been wiped away. You got a fresh start. But you know, that's not the context of that verse. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's true for a new believer, but that's not who Paul's saying it to in, in 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read 17 again, but we're going to focus on 18 through 21. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature or new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 18. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, or that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us, that's now, the word of reconciliation. So now what are we? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you through us. So we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Who is this written to? Ambassadors. Ambassadors those who God has sent out as his witnesses. So next time you think, well, I'm not worthy, or God can't use me, or I've done this, God can never use me in this capacity, remember who you are. You're a new creation. See, that promise, that truth is given not just to the new believer, but in context, it's given to the one that God has sent out to serve him that he wants to use. Stop trying to earn your way to being used by God and follow Mary's example. Just trust him, just trust him and do what he says. So the third reason he's great is because he's merciful. Now, the fourth reason he's great, we see in verse 51. He has showed strength with his arm, and in doing so, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. The phrase to show strength means to do mighty or miraculous things. You say, that's redundant. We already know that. Obviously, a virgin birth is miraculous. But she continues when she says, in doing this, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. The word imagination there means one's intellectual or moral understanding. We're here today and and we're trying to get our intellectual and moral understanding from the scripture, from the one who knows everything, the one who made the rules. So he knows what's right and he knows what's wrong. He knows what's true. He knows what's not, but not everybody thinks that way. And so mankind will often set up their own ideas of what is right or what is true. And then at times they'll point to God even and say, you're false or you're wrong, or that's impossible. Like the virgin birth, that's impossible. I could never believe that. Well, when God does something like this, he proves them wrong. And he scatters their declarations like papers to the wind. I've had so many circumstances in my life that there's too many where there's no other explanation but God. And, and it's interesting when you talk to people and you explain it to them and there's no What answer do they have for that? There is no answer for that because it doesn't work in the way that they think it should work. See, not only does God do things nobody else can do, but he does things people say he can't. He does things people say he can't. And I want to encourage you, don't be a naysayer. Don't be one of those people. God can't do that. Obviously, God will never violate his word. God will never go against his character. God, for example, is never going to tell you to rob a bank because that would go against his character, it go against his word. I became a pastor at the age of 22. I would not recommend that. <laughs> I learned too many lessons the hard way, but it was what God wanted me to do. And remember, when I was at Bible college and I was feeling this call of God. I went to all my professors and teachers, whatever, and the pastor's there and they said, yeah, we think this is the Lord's Will? Will? I remember there were two guys who were going to come plant the church with me. And one of their parents did not want them going. They thought, this is a dumb idea. This guy's 22. You you guys have a better life ahead of you. This is just going to be a waste of time. And so when I was staying with them on break, they had their pastor and they said, you need to come convince our son not to go with him. And you need to convince this guy not to do this. And so the whole dinner time I'm sitting there and the whole conversation is about how God would never call a 22 year old kid to go plant a church. Now, I remember I went to bed. It was horrible. It was horrible the whole night. Every question was set up in advance. It was horrible. And my buddy was just, he was hurting for me. And as we were looking at each other in the room, we were staying in, he goes, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, that was awful. But strangely, I could tell it was a setup. So I know God's called me even more now. That pastor called me three years later with tears, apologizing for what he did, for being a hireling. God can do anything. So don't be one of those naysayers. Look at all God's done in your life and the lives of those around you and give glory to him. Now, what's the fifth reason God is great? We know He's great. Well, look at verses 52 and 53. For He has put down the mighty, these are the rulers, the officials, from their thrones, their seats, and He's exalted them, like Mary of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent empty away. Is God just up in heaven getting all excited whenever a rich person doesn't get a meal? That's not what He's saying here. God doesn't just want to put down rulers or put down rich people, He's not against wealthy people or politicians but he is against greed and corruption. And let me ask you a question. Don't we see too much of that? It's been that way all of time. And don't you long for a day without greed and corruption? Listen, I'm so glad that God doesn't leave us to ourselves, that he doesn't just look and go, man, you guys are a mess. I'm not coming down there to fix it. But instead he came to our world and he lived in our midst and then he died for us. And someday he's coming back to rule and reign over us to fix this mess. Aren't you glad for that? I'm so glad God doesn't leave us to ourselves. That's the fifth reason he's great. He has every right to abandon us and just be like, you know what? Forget it. Jesus, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and his father said to him, you're my beloved son, you've done everything I asked you to do. In saying that, the comment is also, the commentary is, but nobody else is. Nobody else does anything I ask him to do. And at that moment, Jesus could have walked into heaven and said, it can be done. You're perfectly just to just wipe them all out, God. And what did Jesus do? He went down from that mountain, And he climbed a different hill and he went to the cross. And he looked out there and said, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. He loved us. He didn't leave us where we were. He didn't leave us to ourselves. You know, won't it be nice someday to open up your phone and all you read about is all the awesome things leaders are doing when Christ brings his kingdom and righteousness covers the earth like water covers the sea? That's what it'll be like. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? Well, the last reason, verse 54 and 55, that God is great. It says here, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. The sixth reason God is great is because he keeps his promises. The phrase there, to help, it means to take up somebody's cause. Israel had been ruled by empire after empire for the last 450 some odd years, frequently with cruelty. But God, he would rally behind them. God didn't do that because Israel was the best nation or they were the godliest nation or the most righteous nation. God did it because he made a promise to their forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to David, and so on and so forth. And God keeps his promises always. Now, if God kept his promise to them, then surely I know he'll keep his promises to you. He's great and you can trust him. We'll close here, verse 56. And Mary stayed with her for about three months, so pretty much probably till the end of the pregnancy, and then she returned to her own house. I don't know if she stayed to see John's birth. My guess is if she traveled that far, and the way people traveled back then, they didn't do it frequently. If she traveled that far, she probably stayed to see the kid be born. Then, of course, in verse 57, it says, Now Elizabeth's full-time came after Mary leaves. So it's possible she left before John was born. The only thing I would remind you is that Luke had already told us he's not writing his his gospel in chronological order. He's ordering it thematically. So my guess is Mary stayed the whole time and saw little baby John. But you know what? Isn't God great? I mean, we asked the question at the beginning, isn't he great? Listen, why? Well, number one, he takes special notice of us. Number two, he can do things nobody else can do. Number three, because he's merciful. Number four, because he does things people say he can't. Number five, because he doesn't leave us to ourselves. And number six, he keeps his promises. That sounds pretty great to me, doesn't it to you? I think he's awesome. And that means that when we bring the worship team up now and we begin to sing again, that we need to declare his greatness. We need to magnify the Lord like Mary did from our soul to make a choice to say how great he is. Before we close, maybe you're here today and, and maybe, maybe you don't know the Lord. There is a requirement to experiencing his mercy. This is not just something that everybody has and we're all okay with God now because of Jesus. It actually says here in Luke chapter one, verse 50, and his mercy is on them that fear him. You say, what does that mean to fear God? God wants us to be terrified of him? No. The word fear there, it means to reverence or to worship. And so I would ask you this morning, do you treat God with the utmost respect? Or do you live life on your own terms? Kind of ignore them. See, God loves you. And he wants to show you mercy. He wants to wipe the slate clean and he wants to use your life. But you have to come on his terms. And what are his terms? Real simple. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes, puts his trust in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you've never done that before, where you have said, God... I believe Jesus died for me. I've gone my own way. You know, all, all, all we have gone astray, like sheep have gone astray. All, we have, have got, all of us have gone our own way. That's what Isaiah 53 says. You have to tell the Lord that. Confess your sins. Say, Lord, I've gone my own way. But I believe Jesus paid the price for me on the cross. Will you forgive me? Will you wash me clean? And will you take my life and use it for your glory? The Bible says that you'll have everlasting life. That's what it means to fear him. He'll pour out all his mercy upon you and he'll restore you. So if you've never done that, we're gonna pray in just a moment. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. So let's all stand. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your great grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you don't just offer us heaven, but you offer to take away the misery of all the wrongs that we've done, of all the failures that we've had, all the disobedience we've, we've had to you. Lord, we thank you that we stand clean before you by our faith, and, Lord, that you've received us to yourself. And now you want to use us. And so, like Mary, we say, Lord, take our lives. Behold your, your handmaids and your hand servants, Lord, your, your your handmen. We're here, Lord. Take our lives and use them for your glory. We want to follow you. Well, Lord, we do choose to magnify you in our soul. And we give this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: God is so great. He takes special notice of us. God does things that nobody else can do and does things that people say he can't. He is merciful and doesn't leave us to ourselves. God keeps his promises. No one can earn God's favor or blessing. When God truly uses someone, it never brings them glory. It will always bring God glory. He takes special notice of us. He cares for us, even when there is nothing good in us. He loves us. He longs to bless us. It is always on His terms and in His way. Come, and know how great our God is. Taste and see that He is good. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.